good Monday, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. Trevor Hall here, welcoming in private resource investor Doc Jones. Some of you may know him uh, for his uh, his activity online on Twitter and also on CEOCA. Uh, I've asked Doc to come on because there's a, quite a number of things we I, I actually would like to speak to him about uh, regarding not only the metal space and his thoughts on precious metals, because uh, he had mentioned in previous interviews that he was getting more and more, more bullish on gold. But I do want to follow up with Doc on also the energy complex as we see U.S. natural gas prices rising to just over that eight-year high, which is an interesting uh, part of the entire macro thesis. But uh, Doc, good morning to you. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Trevor. I'm, I'm doing quite well. How are you? I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. We are recording this on Friday, so uh, I'm looking forward to get some work on and then uh, head outside as it's a beautiful uh, front-range morning here in Colorado. So oh, take nice. take care of that. Uh, so hey, let's get let's get down to business here, Doc. Uh, you, you mentioned to me uh, off mic that you're doing a little bit more studying and analysis on the uh, macro developments behind some of your investments and where you're just starting to place some money in the resource sector. I wonder if you can elaborate a little bit on this. I mean, obviously, we have an environment of rising interest rates. Uh, it appears that we have a tightening Federal Reserve. We'll see what that means in due time. Uh, but what does this mean for the resource sector and where you're putting your capital? I, well, it, 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 it's, it's a very... Uh very challenging time right now to model um, macroeconomic trends um, because of all the massive cross currents you have. You have a war in Russia, you have massive supply disruptions in many key commodities. You also have the, uh, the tailwinds of uh, decades of underinvestment. Um, you have uh, shortages in, in oil and fertilizer, aluminum, zinc, pretty much everything out there that's driving prices higher. But those those prices can't go higher indefinitely. You, you encounter uh, demand destruction, and we're seeing that already in the in the gasoline market where this is, we're entering the summer dri- driving season in the United States where gasoline demand should be rising, but it's falling because of the price. Um, and when these key commodities such as food, which is up about 30, 40% uh, in cost, um, when those key commodities, those prices rise, those are those are those survival things that people need. So it, they don't have the discretionary income for for other spending, um, which uh, it, it's really tough. It's really tough to model. So uh, I'm looking at uh, the trends that were in place before and that have been reinforced by by the war in Russia that that were there prior, such as the United States and, and the rest of the world going green and the effects upon. The key commodities within that, such as copper, zinc, lead, aluminum, uh, lithium, um, and looking for opportunities there in companies that I think uh, have uh, at, at their current price, share price, what they have in the ground that is economic provides a, a very good downside hedge, as well as if they have news flow coming over the next year that will cause a, a rewrite um, to do that. Um, yeah. So, uh, and with the gold sector, like I've gotten more bullish to gold. If you remember, I, I went completely out of precious metals at the end of 2000, uh, and then I've recently started scaling in. But the caveat there is that the positions that I've been adding are um, heap leach open pit oxide uh, developers, which have 
great economics, even at $1,500 gold. And they are the least affected by rising input costs as far as their, their capex to build the mine and also maintain a mine. So that means their margins will be the least effective, affected by uh, rising inflation. Um, so uh, I, I'm looking at something that works really well at 1500 gold versus thinking gold is going to go to 2000 or 2500 in, in the next year it may very well average around 1700 um, because of uh, rising interest rates and uh, this is the first time we've ever been in a rising rate environment uh, and uh, where the yield curve is it, it's it, it's 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 really an unusual time. So I see the point being, uh, without going too far into it, is that any recession that comes, I think, will be very short-lived because the the government can't allow uh, negative growth growth to persist. They can't have deflation because of the amount of debt, and also because the U.S. dollar is losing its its demand uh, uh, worldwide. So um, it puts them in that precarious place where any weakness in the economy will be met with massive spending and uh, money printing and uh, monetization of of bonds uh, through the Federal Reserve, uh, which will drive commodity prices higher. Mm -hmm. Well, let me be const constructive here to debate, Doc. I mean, mm. what you just lined out here with a short-lived recession, maybe I, I would assume maybe a short-lived rising interest rate environment. I mean, we already are seeing the market pricing in rate cuts even out in the year 2024. I mean, all this seems very bullish for gold because the system is just uh, teetering here. It's on a knife's edge because of so much debt out and the we cannot allow yields to increase so much on the fact that we have to pay down the interest on that. I mean, it just, from what you just described and, you know, 1700, I think is obviously a very conservative number. $1,500 gold in your models, I think is very conservative. But the macro thesis you just laid out is, I mean, from one could make the argument that is incredibly bullish for that hedge in gold. Yeah, you, you would think so. But, uh, you know, look over the last year, we've had so many black swan events and yet gold hasn't responded. I think uh, in the near term, uh, the price of gold is is being uh, controlled by uh, the, the fear trade to a certain degree. And there isn't much fear out there. We feel, I think, as a investment community that the government will come in and save the day with more monetization, creating more free money for everyone, that sort of thing. Um, so um, that's why I, I, I also also with with uh, if you look at gold as far as as uh, in the end, whatever a company produce, it's about how much margin are they going to make in this environment with everything else is rising faster than the price of gold. Companies already in production. Are, their margins are compressing. So you have a, a negative growth going uh, year over year for when you're looking at comps as far as doing financial analysis and you're seeing uh, shrinking free cash flows even though the price of gold has is rising, but it's not rising at the same rate as the other inputs being, you know, uh, energy, labor, steel. Um, so 
that is why I'm not super bullish on gold at, at, at this point. I think we'll get a, a mini recession. We'll be saved by that. And then the next wave after that, late 2023, 2024 now is where I see gold really performing well, which is why I'm positioning <coughs> now in, in, in the companies that, um, that have the project that, that I stated, those are the open pit oxide, mm-hmm. because I feel those are going to have the best margins and because they ha- require the least amount of CapEx or debt financing to go into production versus uh, an underground that's all self sulfide or um, or which requires uh, a lot more uh, metallurgy and uh, crushing and whatnot. Wasn't it too long ago, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you told me a few months ago that you were explicitly looking at only underground operations. Has that changed? It, it, it has. It, it has, depending on the jurisdiction. Like, okay. um, I'm not really big on open pits in the United States, with the exception of Nevada. Uh, Nevada is, seems to be one of the few places you can get that done. Um, you know, it, as you get more data in, I have to rethink, uh, rethink, the, uh, rethink my, my my model, right? Uh, so, and and like uh, up up in um, uh, the Yukon, there in an area where there is uh, an open pit mine, uh, like Banyan Gold, right? They, they have an open pit mine, Victoria, right next door. So I think permitting that will be fairly easy because it's, it's been done before right next door. The, uh, the pathway is there to do that. They also have an underground right next door with Alexco. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so that jurisdiction, I think, is safe. Um, but uh, as uh, you see all these input costs rising considerably, um, you know, to, to be in the gold market. The thing is, I've seen so many bad outcomes with underground mining uh, with gold, not not for... Uh, it's different when you're talking about base metals underground where they're doing a, a long stoping or a, a bulk underground mining. But, but these um, gold explorers where it's narrow, high-grade underground, uh, there's, there's a whole list of, of ones, like pure gold mining firm one is an example of one that hasn't worked out very well, uh, as well as a few others. Um, so I, I feel I have to have exposure to gold. Um, so I have about a 10% weighting in my portfolio, which is comprised of uh, four or five companies um, that are skewed towards um, oxide, open pit, heat bleach, high margin, low capex, because the exit there is a buyout by someone else. Uh, I think uh, a good project like that will be attractive to a major or a mid-tier producer because uh, of the margins and the uh, the time lag to get in production is much shorter than building an underground mine, specifically I'm talking about gold. Um, and uh, the input costs are, are fairly insulated to rising inflation compared to their peers. Um, so I, I think, you know, if you need to... To have exposure, I think you have to have exposure to gold. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so that's that's kind of kind of um, where I'm going with that. Yeah. All right. And certain jurisdictions, open pits just don't work. Like there's you know, other parts of the world that are very much against open pits. But uh, you know, the companies that I've chosen, they they have uh, there's a precedence there where sure. where, where, where permitting won't be a problem. Like. 
going to, um, I don't know, parts of Brazil, um, parts of Spain, open pit mines are very, very tough to permit. Sure. Uh, let's uh, take a step away from the discussion along gold and, and the gold equities. I do want to get your thoughts here. Returning back to kind of the macro theme, uh, before we were recording, you mentioned demand destruction and kind of what you're seeing here on the inflation side of the economy. Uh, that's not the first time we've had a conversation on demand destruction the last week here on the pod. Um, you you mentioned that you are starting to see it, demand destruction, specifically on uh, the gasoline side, people maybe not wanting to fill up their vehicles, not wanting to take those summer road trips in the car. Um, you know, lay this out for us and, and give us your thesis here. Yeah, yeah. So with demand destruction, it, it, it well, n- nothing happens in a vacuum. Uh, you know, as you know, when commodity prices rise, it does it. When supply and demand curves, you know, your basic uh, um, uh, economics 101, and the only way to to kill demand uh, is by for prices to rise, right? So. Um, prices have risen across the board for a lot of things, and we're seeing that gasoline demand is going down. Also, permitting for home renovations is is, is uh, in decline. Um, home construction is starting to take a hit now with higher interest rates and higher input costs. People are delaying um, uh, certain uh, capital-intensive projects because of the cost of, of, of the steel, the wood, the copper, the, the piping, all those things. Um, as well as we're also seeing uh, supply shortages uh, where um, certain refined products such as uh, PVC piping or um, copper piping is being sold in the aftermarket at a premium to the stated price. We're seeing that with zinc where if you want physical zinc, uh, the LME quotes one price, but to actually get it in a physical form, uh, you're paying a 20% premium in some cases, as been reported. Like you have Traffic Hero right now who's removing physical supri- supply from the LME uh, because I believe that they're uh, worried that they'll have to declare a force majeure on some of their uh, contracts because they have, to, uh, they have to have the physical to deliver. It's, it's uh, really interesting when you look at the, the difference between the paper market of these key commodities and the actual physical market and the disconnect there. Um, so, um, when, when this happens, then you get demand destruction, supply starts to build up, uh, you get a supply overhang and then prices have to come down to clear the, to clear the market. Um, and then we have, uh, deflation or uh, a recession, um, because then producers have to cut back on production because there's that supply overhang that needs to be worked off. Mm-hmm. Um, in some some areas, uh, not in all commodities, we're seeing that, um, but there will be some um, oil and gas, is, or oil in particular, and gasoline. For one, it's starting to look that way. So um, we may see a flat to slightly down oil price through the summer when generally it should be rising. Um, so, uh, which again, lower oil prices is actually a plus for the economy because uh, energy is a big component in, in anyone's spending. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it's really tough to model with all these uh, cross currents. Um, yeah, the the, the the traffic era news doc was pretty interesting, and and I did have to kind of take a 
step back and kind of think about this. And I'm almost curious if Traffic Europe pulling their physical zinc from the LME, part of it is, you know, you know as well as I do that part of the inflation narrative is also the psychology of inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, and wanting to get as much as much their hands on as much as they can at that mm-hmm. specific moment of time to make those deliveries. And I'm not an expert in the commodities trade when it comes to the LME um, yeah. by any means, but that's just kind of where my curiosity going, was going. But the other part of that story was, well, the LME is just in such disarray, and that has been apparent since the nickel debacle of a few weeks ago. Uh, it's lost clout, obviously, uh, it appears amongst the trading community. Uh, and I'm wondering if maybe that might have something to do with the story behind Trafigura as well. So could, I could be, could, could be part of it. I, I know there's, there's some smelters that are shut down in Spain because of the cost of energy. Um, so there is uh, a bit of a, uh, a supply gap that is emerging in zinc. Um, and there's also, yeah, so, so that, that, that could be part of it. But um, I, I th- I, I, it's interesting, though, when, when you think we may be getting to a point where um, many key commodities are breaking their paper markets to a certain extent. So then we get a repricing of everything closer to the actual price. At, at the same time, uh, the global supply chains that ensured uh, the, the lowest cost unit of whatever it is arrived at the end, end user uh, those have been disrupted, and going forward, we may end up with a more localized supply chains uh, from mining, milling, smelting to manufacturing, domiciled within uh, North America, North America, South America, and then on the other side, there'll be the other block, the the China, Russia, uh, India uh, block of trade, uh, and that ensures higher prices. Um, in these key commodities, it's, it's, you know, I was looking back at copper. If you go back to copper, just interestingly, you know, in uh, 1990 it was a dollar 17, 2000 it was 84 cents. Ten years later, it was down. Then ten years later, after that, it, uh, 2010 it was uh, 414, uh, 444, almost what a 500 percent increase. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's. Uh, uh, and, and right now, copper in particular is going to be the most key commodity in this energy transition, with the exception of whatever we decide to use for baseload power, because copper is needed, but it's not really useful unless you have electricity running through it. So someone has mm-hmm. to generate that electricity. Um, but it feels like if I had to put a title on it, we're in a uh, approaching a commodity super cycle that is not based on uh, exploding demand so much as a uh, many decades of a lack of capital spending, uh, as well as supply chain disruption and remapping, uh, coupled with natural depletion, where the average grade of whatever it is is decreasing and has been decreasing for decades and decades and decades, which requires you have to move more tons and expend more energy, more cost to arrive at the same 
uh, same amount of pounds or ounces uh, of whatever it is that, that, that you need. So uh, if you, it, it feels like we're, we're, we're going to create a new clearing price that is much higher than it had been for the previous decade uh, in all key commodities, um, which, which is good for the industry as long as those prices increase faster than the inputs. You know, mm-hmm. uh, right. so, so. That, that, and that's the linchpin. That's, that is certainly a linchpin that I've been paying attention to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anecdotally, you know, when we saw some of the, the major gold producers recently make those new 52 week highs or new mm-hmm. highs of some sort of caliber, it, it, it seemed to correlate a little bit with oil price coming back down from 130 a barrel to, you know, sub 100. Uh, yeah. and it was, you know, I was just curious to kind of see that correlation. And that's something I'm going to be pursuing a little bit in my own analysis and research as well. Uh, but Doc, we got to leave it there. I appreciate okay. all the insight. And, um, you know, we'll be sure to catch up again in the coming weeks and months to see how this is all playing out and uh, see what other lively debate you and I can get into then. <laughs> sure, that sounds lovely. Uh, all right, Doc, Doc Jones, everybody, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back here with more from Mining Stock Daily. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.